0: Welcome to Reservations, we are your host. I'm Rain Whaling,
1: And I know who killed Jean Ramsey, but I'll never tell. Wait, who? Jean Ramsey. Really? You don't know who Jean Binet Ramsey is? Oh, Google it. We don't have time. I'm not going to Google it. We don't have time for me to explain to you who Jean Ramsey is <laughs> and for you not to get the joke. So let's just yeah, you know, Whatever. I'm Jeremy, by the way. Who fucking cares? You're ruined. <laughs> uh, Congratulations. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's my job is to ruin your jokes. Mm. Uh, welcome back, everyone. Um, before we get into the episode, we just have a couple announcements that we wanted to make. Two uh, that are really exciting and one not so exciting. Um, the first one, we'll keep things kind of light. As of right now, of course, us being today when y'all hear this on Tuesday, um, our website is up. We have a
1: website. My picture's on it and everything.
0: Uh, yes. Uh, as previously mentioned in uh, past episodes, I've been toying with this idea of making us a website, uh, an easier way for people maybe to find us if you don't have, you know, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or anything like that. This way you can go to the website, listen to the episodes, um, and get a way to, you know... Listen to us. Um, the the website does have a bit of a long uh, URL. I used a free website creator called Wix. Uh, not sponsored, but they were awesome. Um, so I'm not gonna say it. I told Jeremy off mic. I was gonna say it in the in the episode, but I realized. I'm not gonna say it yeah we're just gonna put the link
1: in the description and so that's where you can find the yes
0: um, I may say it work. in a future episode but as of right now it's too long it's talking. too long um, the second announcement also a really exciting announcement I'm gonna let Jeremy mention it
1: oh sure uh, all right so I had the idea that um, after next week uh, next week uh, will be my last pick of the season then we go to our four-episode series Mm -hmm. Uh, We are going to add a bonus episode of uh, this wonderful show that we do. We each are going to pick a movie that we love that is bad uh, to prove that films have value no matter what and to prove to all of you out there that film snobs like bad movies too yes so.
0: and when he means bad he means you know critically and probably commercially the bad mo- I
1: won't say the movie I picked yet but the movie I picked got a 8% on Rotten Tomatoes I'm sure that, mine has well, that is a single digit my friends I'm sure and mine and it is a movie I like uh,
0: so. I'm sure mine has more or less uh, yes those on. are the two options it, it's it's gonna hang on Alright, five. So, seconds.
1: I came up with the idea a couple of days ago, and I was pretty excited about it. So, um, it'll just be a fun little bonus episode, just us talking about these movies that are inherently bad, but we find wow. we find value in these. Films. So,
0: so your movie only has one digit. Eight. Mm-hmm. Is that the critic score or the
1: audience score? Oh, I don't know. It was the one that popped up. It, it was just, probably the critic score. Probably.
0: Mine has is two digits. Ooh, it's a 43. 43? That's... Uh, and we'll get into it. But, uh, yes, uh, as we decided in season two, we're going to keep episodes down to 15 episodes. But... I think this will be kind of fun. Yeah,
1: it'll be be a fun little break from, you know, me hammering you with with film study jargon (laughs) and, you know, diegesis and, you know, shit like that. Especially next week, my picnic, which we'll get into at the end of the episode, is one that will be filled with, uh, you know, technical things and, you know, whatever. Um, Now, the the
0: final bit of news before we get into the episode... Um, i don't think we've ever mentioned it on mic uh me and jeremy are both really big fans of a sitcom called scrubs um if anyone out there has seen it you know exactly what we're talking about if no one has um scrubs is a comedy drama show that was on uh
1: abc uh it was on abc and then abc, then ABC
0: right? that's right um, yeah that's when it got ruined um Season 8 is, in my opinion, actually the last season. Which is still on ABC. Um, But season 9 is awful. Uh, But anyway, it's it's a drama comedy. More comedy than drama. um, Of... What it's like in a hospital—kind um, of the complete opposite of such shows like Grey's Anatomy and ER and all that stuff.
1: Uh, I've heard doctors say that Scrubs is actually more accurate. Re- yeah, I've heard that
0: too. Um, it's a great show, very funny. Um, one of the characters uh, is the <laughs> hospital's lawyer, Ted, played who- by Sam Lloyd. Who has never won a case, and he's all, and he's he's the the show punching bag, um, but Sam Lloyd has always played it great. What uh, was even really cool is he has. Uh, an acapella group in the show, and that's It's just, a real
1: music group. I, yeah. I have a few of their songs on my on my phone.
0: Anyway. Yeah, that uh, the creator of the show, Bill Lawrence, was like, "Hey, just bring them all in, yeah, and we'll make them various members of the hospital."
1: A little fun um, connection to a couple of our episodes. Uh, he is Christopher Lloyd's nephew, actually.
0: That makes since yeah um but we have some sad news uh how long ago was it, was it? yesterday he uh well, well when he was diagnosed oh, I'm sorry. uh so sam lloyd was diagnosed with uh it was leukemia correct uh-huh. some form of cancer um and someone some great, awesome person out there started a gofundme or a kickstarter something to help pay for sam's medical bills um, because everyone, even though Ted was the show punching bag, everyone loves Ted.
1: Everybody loves Ted. And everybody loved Sam. Mm-hmm. You
0: know? and, but as Jeremy just mentioned, as of yesterday, he has passed.
1: Yesterday and the day we are recording, not yesterday, Monday, but that's... That, it, listen, I don't have to explain to you how this works, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, yesterday
0: for us... Yes. Uh, a few days ago a for A few you. days ago for when you're listening. Um,
1: and it just sucks. It does suck. You know, he was... Uh, he was in a lot of Bill Lawrence stuff. He was also in Spin City for an episode. Really? Yeah. Um, and I've seen him in quite I, a few things. I think he was in then. a
0: few episodes of Cougar Town as well.
1: And he was—he's always funny. He always plays that sort of down and out sort of role. Mm. And I mean, it, it was great. So I'm—I'm I'm sad that uh, he has passed. And probably for a little bit more insight into who he was, I would probably suggest you listen to Fake Doctors, Real Friends. Um, which is Zach Braffs and Donald Faison's podcast really yeah I'm
0: gonna have to gonna have to start listening to that now yeah um, yeah it, it is sad because Ted uh, Sam Lloyd was always funny on scrubs because he was never written to win and even when he does get a win the they take it right away from him again um, I think the I think the best time he's ever gotten a win is Shockingly enough, is the episode I was referring to before we started recording, uh, when JD's dad dies, um, you know, the janitor's messing with Kelso, Mm -hmm. and then the janitor lowers uh, Ted into Kelso's car, and Kelso's like, Ted, what did you get here? And he's like, you invited me over for dinner, remember? And he's like, I did? And the janitor's looking at Ted like, yes, yes, you did, and you would make it. And I think that's like I think that's Ted's best win besides finally getting a girlfriend right. in season eight. Uh, but anyway, again, it's just it sucks to see Sam Lloyd uh, gone. Again, if anyone hasn't watched Scrubs, I highly recommend watching Scrubs. After season eight, you can just stop unless you just uh, don't appreciate good TV anymore. Then you could watch season nine. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> but that's all the announcements we had uh, now. Let's get into the, the movie, uh, which I'm very excited for.
1: Oh, me too. I, I was um, pleasantly surprised. Um, that I chose it? Yeah. I, I don't know.
0: It had been on my mind. Hadn't watched it in a while. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'd love to talk about it. I watched it twice
1: in the last two days.
0: Um, I I forgot how funny it was. It's funny. Yeah. Um, so the movie we're discussing is, uh, and I'm going to say his name correctly... Alejandro Gonzalez Inuritu
1: that's very good that was really close very good Brian yes
0: Uh, he wrote and directed this movie um, which I think makes it so much more special that he wrote like I love that he directed it but I also love that he wrote it Um, the film is called Birdman or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance um before we really get into it, what what does it mean when a title has that or and then another title?
1: I mean, it's a um, I don't know if it would be like a subtitle. Um, like you could call the movie either or maybe because you know no one calls Doctor Strange Love. Um, how oh, I Learned I to Stop Worrying that lo- No one calls it that. So, I mean, I don't think you're supposed... I think it's just like an alternate title, right? Like, you know, um, it gives the title just a little bit extra, right? Yeah. Um, like when we find out where that comes from in the right. movie, right? We're like, oh, okay. you know what I mean? It's one of those, aha, one of those things. So, gotcha. I don't know if, you know, he was saying, I could either call it this or this. I really do think it's just one title, that that flows together right it's not something that can be you know like a choice like this one or this one it's Mm -hmm. it's all just one thing right yeah
0: yeah so um so this movie uh 2014 um won four of its nine academy awards uh best director best picture best original screenplay and cinematography I believe so. And the cinematography is dope. So yeah, because I believe, because I know Michael Keaton was nominated but <laughs> didn't win, and I know Emma Stone and uh, Edward Gordon were also nominated but they didn't win that year as well. Shockingly <laughs> enough, um, it tied with Grand Budapest hmm. for how many Oscars it was nominated for.
1: Was it the same year?
0: Yeah. Okay. They both were nominated for nine. I think Birdman did beat out its wins. Oh well, yeah. Because um, I, I think Grand Budapest won the three of its nine mm. for costume design, production design, oh, and pff. something yeah. else. Anyway.
1: Uh, uh, the filler. The the, the filler categories. Yeah, that's well, until you see Grand Budapest.
0: <laughs> but we got How into that I've... in the Stevie's Easy Web soon. Oh, boy. Anyway. um i love this movie
1: it's a great movie right um it's sort of this i mean you can know i mean okay (laughs) i wanted to say it's sort of a surprising hit but not really because uh, the academy loves showbiz movies yeah and this is what this is right it's a showbiz movie
0: yeah it's very as i learned in my rewatch and my research it's very um meta within itself it is you know it's it's a movie about the theater and about how theater views act movie actors mm-hmm. with in, in a movie format. You know, it goes a
1: little bit further than that, right? And I can prove this to you.
0: Um, I'm assuming you're referring to much later in the movie. Not
1: necessarily. Oh, so okay. even its premise. So when we talk about, and of course this is sort of a stretch, but not not necessarily. Right. Is it's about an actor who in the '90s was a superhero. Um, and is now no longer a superhero and is sort of faded from the public eye in terms of um, the work he's done. And that's exactly Michael Keaton,
0: right? Yeah, you know, he was famous for, you know, his movies, uh, Batman 1 and Batman Comes Back to Town. <laughs>
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yep, those, that's those are the titles. Uh, <laughs> yes, and... Um, that that was, I mean, that was that was really dumb. So, and then he did Jack Frost. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, so, okay. So that in and of itself sort of brings a little extra layer mm. of this meta commentary because even Michael Keaton has said he doesn't really relate to Rick and Thompson, but he relates to what it's like to be in those films and then no longer be in those films. Right. Right. And even in the movie, he says, well, that was back in 92. Well, 92 is when um, Batman Returns came out, and that was the last Batman he was in, right? Mm -hmm. So even then, they they added a little bit of that just to give it a little more realism. The second sort of meta commentary is with Edward Norton himself. Edward Norton's character, um, oh, man, Shiner. Mike Shiner. Mike Shiner. um, Plays, and he knew this, plays a version of himself that is based solely on reputation. He has a reputation of being that difficult, really. Yes, and, and being that sort of demanding and you know hard to work with, and yeah. So that well, in and of itself is also a bit of meta Well,
0: and, and this is kind of a side note. It's because Edward's a method actor
1: in a way. In a way, yeah. Um, yeah so he is. He is talked about as being hard to work with.
0: I wonder if this film because I would say from this film on I've heard nothing but like great things about people working with him. Yeah. So I wonder if this film kind of.
1: And I did see Motherless Brooklyn and. How uh, was that? As, it's great. I mean as a director he's also very good. So. Um,
0: But like I, I wonder if this movie made him kind of He's like, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I am being I a little think, too. You know,
1: I think he probably started noticing a little before then, so he could finally, you know, like face it in this one and be able to notice because you can't fix it unless you notice, right? And so right. he would have to be able to introspectively notice that he does things like that and be able to project that for the character. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you always you always hear that only smart people can play dumb people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Amanda Seyfried in Mean Girls. She's not an idiot. Right. Right. Because you can't be to play an idiot. Right. Yeah. You have to be able to differentiate these these sort of mental capacities to be able to play them. Right. Right. A dumb person can't do that. So he would have to be able to fix these things that he does. Right and uh-huh. not be so difficult to work with to be able to play difficult to be work with. It's very confusing, but that's really how it's... Yeah.
0: I mean, uh, maybe it was just me stretching, because I love Edward Norton. I do too. And I also love Edward Norton. But, uh, so, would you like to do the synopsis? Sure. I, I'll, I'll do it quickly. Again, so, I, I still think I'm terrible at it, because I think I give too much.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You give too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Regan Thompson has... Adapted a Raymond Carver short story into a play for Broadway. Right. He used to be a action hero mm-hmm. um, in the movies. Back in the nineties, he no longer is, and no longer he hasn't been in twenty years. Right at this right. point, and or more. 30. Well, he says
0: uh, in the interview. Uh, that's why I said no to, to Bird Birdman for
1: four, 20, twenty years ago. 20 years. Okay, so it was twenty years. And he's he's really struggling with his self-identity, his self-worth, and, you know, his relevance, Mm -hmm. right? That's this whole movie can be summarized in, you know, in relevance and in do you matter, right? Yeah. Uh, He is not the only character to go through this, um, but we mainly stay with Regan, so there you go. Um, The movie is shot as it appears to be one take. Obviously, it's not, but, you know, we'll get there. Yeah. Um, And really, the technical achievement of it isn't... Once you watch the movie and understand it, it really is a very small part of what makes the movie so good, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But anyway, and he is trying to get this play off the ground. He wants to be relevant again. He wants to be respected. He wants to be loved by all, Mm -hmm. right? And so the film really just tracks the the rehearsals to the previews to opening night.
0: Right. The yeah, the three days of previews. And, and the passage
1: of time is brilliant in this, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll talk about the passage of time. And so um, there's ups and downs, trials and tribulations. Yep. Um, <laughs> comedy ensues. Yeah. Uh, very, a very nightmare situation. At least I've had nightmares where I show up to places with no clothes on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nightmare situations happen uh, to Riggan. Uh, he ends up making it to opening night. Opening night goes perfectly well. Um, as we have, as at least I have stated before, if you introduce a gun in act one, it has to go off in act three. Mm-hmm. And it sure does. Yeah. Blows the nose off his face when <laughs> giving the uh, the final uh, final act,
0: which we'll get into. I'd, right? Yeah.
1: Anyway, and um, after he has what would what the audience would appear as victory, he has achieved a wonderful opening night, critical acclaim,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: audience approval. Yeah. It's still not enough, and question mark at the end because you know we can talk about the end for hours and hours and hours and we'll we'll never figure it out, right? Yeah. Um and by the way, that's Birdman. Um Alejandro says that he expects people to come away with different conclusions and seeing different themes in the film, me, I latched on to relevance, self worth you know, and wanting admiration. That's why I latched on to I, I would also agree,
0: you know, that that's, the, that's kind of what I latched on to. Because there's, there's a lot of evidence yeah. that that's what it is. Right. You know, like when he's talking with his ex-wife and he says, you know, why did we break up? Because you threw a kitchen knife at me and then an hour later you're telling you were loving me. Like, mm-hmm. you, you love me. Um, you've always confused love and admiration.
1: Right. Uh, because she had um, said she didn't like a movie he had done with Goldie Hawn, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just because yeah, I didn't like that movie didn't mean I didn't love you,
1: right? It's it's that confusion. He he melts the two together. Yeah. If you don't like my work, then, then you, you don't, don't love like me, me right? Yeah. And that's obviously not the case ever, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, so <laughs> okay. Um... Big technical achievement making it look mm-hmm. like one shot again. We had mentioned not the first time we had seen this. Um, it is the first time I had seen a movie like this get such a big critical acclaim, right? Yeah, the first time I had seen it done was with Silent House, and I don't think anyone's ever seen it. I love the movie very much, but anytime I mention it to people, they're like, I've never seen that, you know, ever heard of it. No, right? Well,
0: of course, now you know, the one shot, um, the one take is being used a lot. You know, they just did it in 1917. Which was great. Um, so I haven't seen it. It's out now. Probably going to... Well, maybe go buy it later. <clears throat> Wife's not letting me buy anything right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, and something I learned from the behind the scenes is, you know, when we get those shots through the hallways,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they had to build the set because yep. the theater they were shooting in, the hallways were smaller mm-hmm. and they couldn't get a full camera to get through... There, so usually what would happen is they would cut it and then start it back up in that same spot in the set, right? And then do the whole tracking shot.
1: Yeah, because I mean, watching the behind the scenes, uh, that camera has to be moved in such a way where the cameraman can get through, can get world. out of the way. Yeah, right. Also, so he has to be able to sling it to the side of him, sling it in front of him, kind of you know whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. So. You're right. He has to have full range of motion with that thing. Yeah. Because it's not very big, the camera, right? Mm -hmm. Especially in terms of Steadicam technology, this is the smallest it's ever been. Yeah. Right? Uh, The ones that they used for Halloween when the Vista Glide was created in 78, that thing weighed like fucking 100 pounds.
0: Yeah. When, uh, not to, to, again, not sponsored, but when me and Ashley watched... uh, eli roth's history of horror Mm -hmm. on Shudder.
1: oh great series by the way um i watched the whole thing history of horror i'm a big fan of uh sidebar i'm a big fan of documentary series that are set up that way Mm -hmm. right or just documentaries in general that are set up that way uh, where you have the talking heads you have the clips of the movies you have the discussion of the films and its impact and culture blah blah i love that it's my favorite thing in the world to watch Go
0: ahead. Anyway, uh, but yeah, no, and they showed behind the scenes footage of the the tracking shot mm-hmm. from house to house, and yeah, that that motherfucker was it's huge.
1: Huge. And so when you watch the behind the scenes on Birdman, that thing is super small, mm-hmm. right? And it, he's able to manipulate it so much easier, right? But but according
0: to Michael Keaton, it's still just as heavy. Oh, because yeah. he he was saying how he felt bad for one camera guy because they had it was the scene. Um, when he's talking with his ex-wife about love and admiration and they track him going out the door following the stage manager you know mm-hmm. yep. doing all this and apparently when it was over he looked at the guy and he was just pouring sweat <laughs> yeah and,
1: I mean that's just no joke yeah right and not only is it heavy but he has to have all of his mental faculties working at once like he's got to pay attention to the actor he's got to pay attention to his movement he's got to pay attention to where his hands are and mm. where his feet are, and make sure he doesn't bump into a wall. I mean, yeah.
0: Well, and it, it's so, and it's so crazy too that they, you know, they rehearsed everything <sighs>
1: for a long
0: time. Um, uh, got it down like to, I think they said the minute. Yeah. Of how the pacing was going. to They go. said
1: he. When he, I need to know if you're going to put an it in that sentence, or if you're going to put a v the there, I need to know all of that. Yeah. No. Right. Because all of that matters with the pacing. The pacing is so important, and the reason they did it so many times is because he needed it to be like riding a bike. Mm. I need you to to know it backwards and forwards, so you don't have to think about it. So it's more realistic. It's more human, right? Mm. And it, it brings that that performance. Through another level. Right. Well, and I
0: read something that it's also meant to kind of embody the theater itself. Right. Because in a play, they can't be like, ah, let me, hang on, let me do it again. Right. Um, you know, they have to, the actors have to keep going and, mm. you know, um, yeah. And I know there's, a, there's another part where Emma Stone's talking about that, where if they had to do another take, Alejandro wouldn't get angry, but he'd be like... We can't do another take. Like, the point of this is so we don't have to do... Right. Uh, uh, and apparently, as she said, uh, Zach Galifianakis kept trying to mess people up.
1: Because he would mess up the least, right? Mm-hmm. He was... I mean... Zach Galifianakis is such a great actor. Yeah. And that he doesn't break, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I mean it was it was an achievement when he did right people would be like thank god
0: yeah. you know which which kind of brings me to my segue is the cast uh, you know with everyone including Zach Galifianakis mm-hmm. who you know by this time people have seen him in The Hangover mm-hmm. you know mainly just a lot of comedies nothing yeah a ton of comedies yeah by that time nothing quite serious and I would say Birdman is more comedic than serious it's
1: a, it's a satire right
0: um, yeah So, I wanted to bring this up, kind of uh, talking about, you know, when we're talking about Inside Llewyn Davis, Mm. you know, the Collin brothers think it's so funny every time it gets beaten (laughs) down. And, you know, and I disagreed with that, so did you. Mm. With this, I do see the comedy. So, the more Riggin gets beaten down, I see the comedy. Uh, But anyway, but, you know, Zach gives, like, an unprecedented performance. Yeah. You know, he's funny, he's dramatic, and he's... Everything. Uh, I, I remember an interview when he was on Kimmel, and Kimmel mentioned how one of his movies that had just come out I think it was the one with the spies, like John Hamm and Gal Gadot, was okay, yeah. it, uh, apparently wasn't doing very well. And Zach just kind of put on this like upset face, and the whole audience was like, Oh, and he's like, I'm not that good of an actor, and I disagree because. I think Birdman really shows his range. Yes, I also
1: agree. And just the fact that he would mess—I mean, that would be the hardest part Mm. to me. Not being an actor, that would be the hardest part. Would be not don't mess up. Yeah, right. We have to get the shot. Memorize your lines. Don't fuck it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And and they would keep tally marks. They said and Emma Stone messed up the most times.
0: Well, and, and she she said that apparently Zach was. Trying so Zach was like off camera like yeah one of the one of the bloopers I remember seeing is it's the scene where she comes to get Mike mm-hmm. after their little rehearsal Mike and Riggin yeah and uh, Zach is like behind camera like just messing with her and she finally looks over and sees him and breaks the scene and they had to re- you know, just start over God um but man. <sighs> I can't. I can't say enough how much I love Zach in it. Yeah. One of my favorite parts with him <laughs> is when Riggin dispatches a Ralph, mm-hmm. and and Riggin's like he's an awful actor, and Zach's like he's not that bad, and he turns and looks at him and he's like, okay, he's fucking terrible. And <laughs> just I just love the delivery of the line and just yeah, the
1: delivery of the lines really good. And apparently he messed up. At some point in the film, but he played it off so well that it's still in the movie. Really? Right? Yeah. Um, I. They didn't say where. Well, oh, damn. I was or, gonna say now. Now I really want to see it. But uh, we'll never know, right? It's yeah. sort of like what um, what people used to tell me and other, you know, when I was in school and we would have to like give like some sort of speech or do a skit or something. My my teachers or whatever would always say. You know the stuff, they don't you know when you mess up, they don't. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think we'll ever know. No. Because we don't know. We don't know what he was supposed to have said or supposed to have done. We just see the finished product. Right. Right. So but,
0: but you know, but still speaking of the cast, I mean so like we mentioned Michael Keaton, mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis. Edward Norton. Edward Norton. But then you've got Emma Stone. Naomi Watts. Naomi
1: Watts is amazing
0: in everything she does. Oh, absolutely. Um, I really don't know the other actresses' names, Um, the ex-wife and...
1: Oh, the ex-wife is uh, Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan, uh, she was in The Office, of course, but she was also in Gone Baby Gone, which she's amazing in Gone Baby Gone. Okay. Okay. And then the girlfriend, Rickon's girlfriend. Okay, now she was in The Other Actress, right? Um, mm-hmm. She was in Mandy, which just came out a couple of years ago. Oh, uh, with Nick Cage? With Nick Cage, which is unbelievable. It's amazing. Everyone's got to see it. Um, yeah,
0: I've heard it's it's insane, but in a good way. It's wild, yeah.
1: But it's it's not wild. It's not insane like some of his B, C, D like stuff. Like déjà vu? <laughs> like some of this other shit he does um, oh no wait that's
0: Denzel Washington that's Denzel. I meant uh, Bangkok Dangerous
1: yeah Bangkok Dangerous <laughs> yeah it's not like that like that's bad right yeah. pay the ghost that's bad this is great okay um, so I highly recommend but she's in and so okay. um, so I've seen her and stuff before you're right I don't remember her name
0: no, no, I meant to look it up before you got here but I completely forgot yeah but she's great too everyone's great but I think I think it's because you know they focus so much on Emma Stone, Zach, Edward, Michael, and Naomi. You kind of forget those two characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so I, I want to talk about Edward Norton's character, Mike Shiner. sure. Because yeah. you know, as I mentioned on on the sh- on the podcast before, there's a YouTube channel I watch called Aliens Guide where mm-hmm. they do a, a breakdown of the philosophical reasoning, but as from the perspective of an alien right. finding this. Um, and, you know, what what he talked about uh, when they did Birdman is Edward Norton's character, Mike Shiner, represents the reality of the theater, mm-hmm. you know. And I love how when we first meet Mike, they kind of set him up like, oh, we're going to love this guy. And then the very first preview... You
1: were like, oh, you're not meant to love this guy. Yeah, pulls a 180 and just, like, loses his shit in front of, you know, and (laughs) breaks character and he yells at Riggin in front of all these people, right? Yeah. Um, Breaks the set. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's because of his reputation, of course. Um, He wants it to be... Authentic. Authentic, and he wants it done Right. Yes. Right.
0: Yeah, cuz you know when we first meet Mike, he's running lines with Riggan and I love how Riggan is so hung up on well, you know my lines too. <laughs> and he even tells him like we're beyond that. Just keep going. And you know and he's get, and he's helping Riggan kind of maybe find a better flow because mm-hmm. Riggan
1: which yeah. I I agree and I I, I do want to say that even the play they're doing deals with relevance and their mm-hmm. place in the world and it's a real short story by Raymond Carver. What we talk about when we talk about love. Uh if you dig the the sort of play aspect of this film, the Raymond Carver stuff, I highly recommend Shortcuts, which is a um oh no. Oh no, I forgot his name there for a second. Ah shit. <laughs> Oh, forget it. I'm not going to get it because I'm thinking too hard about it. But anyway, um, it's a collection of his writings done in a very long format, Format, right? So it's a three-hour-something movie. Um, I don't know. All of Hollywood's actors at the time were in it. Uh, (laughs) Like even Robert Downey Jr. and and Jennifer Jason Leigh and Hmm. Tom Waits and Lily Tomlin and blah, blah, blah. Tim Tim Robbins, blah, blah, blah. I might have to find it.
0: Yeah. But – but, yeah, you know, so so in
1: that setup, you know, he's running lines. Altman. Sorry. Did you just remember? Altman. It's an Altman film. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he did, you know, MASH, MASH fill, all that stuff. So, yeah. uh, shortcuts.
0: Um, but, you know, in that setup, you know, you seem, you feel just like Rigan feels. Mm-hmm. You know, Rigan's like, you should have seen when I saw Jake, Zach Galifian. Um, You know, he's the actor we've been needing. And Rigan's so excited. So, as the audience, we feel like, okay, we're meant to like this guy. Right. And then in the first preview, the stage manager, you know, Riggin stops by the stage manager before he goes into his scene. And, you know, how's, how's he doing? Oh, great. I think he's drinking real gin, though. And Riggin comes out to do his scene with everyone and swaps the gin for water. And Mike is not having it.
1: Loses his shit. Um, and, you know, I have a hard time... caring if he was drinking real gin who cares he was giving a great performance let him drink I don't care you know Um, I I don't know if there's some sort I have no idea if there's like a log I don't know right well
0: I mean and then you know then it gets worse you know then he tries to have sex with Naomi Watts yep um, and they're
1: dating, right? So yeah. the, uh, the way <laughs> the way she reveals her dating <laughs> is she says that uh, we share a vagina, right? Um, when, which when, I loved the turn of phrase. When, right? when me
0: and Ashley first saw the movie, we thought that it was their brother and sister. That's what I thought at first. And, and then he tells her to play with his balls. He's and like,
1: oh, they're dating. Oh, it's her vagina they share. I get it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought at first, too. Uh, I thought they were brother and sister. But they would have known that, right? So yeah. uh, they wouldn't have th- known that she's dating him yeah. or whatever.
0: Yeah. Um, but, you know, so there's a scene that, towards the end of the play where uh, Ed Norton's character, Naomi Watts' is character within the play are in a hotel and Regan catches them and... because Anyway. Um, and while they're setting up for the scene, Mike decides uh, that he is aroused and they should have sex for real. And, uh... Yeah.
1: Well, and so, the reason that's important... Yes, it's funny. Um, and sort of... Fucked up. Uh, yeah. Um, but it also deals with his his version of Riggin's problem. So Riggin has a really hard time valuing his self-worth, right? Right. Ed Norton's character Shiner has this opposite problem where he only feels like he is worth anything when he's on stage. When he's on stage, right? Mm-hmm. Riggin wants the admiration off stage right Shiner wants it on right he doesn't give a shit about anything but performing right and that's where he values his self-worth is on the stage
0: yeah so these two are opposites when he kind of says that to Emma Stone you know when she asks like what's it like to go on that stage and pretend Mm -hmm. well I don't pretend while I'm on stage right it's everywhere else I'm pretending so I didn't think about that that's why I'm here Uh, but yeah and then man um, I love the uh, and you know and, it, and it's kind of fun and I went well oh, I'd still say funny it's just kind of funny how even with all this headbutting between Regan and Mike Mike is still trying to help him kind of understand the theater yeah you know like when they go out to the bar and he show you know he points out the critic behind them and he's like if she likes us we run if not we're fucked yeah plain and simple and but Regan is still having a hard time with Mike's antics and
1: Yeah, Mike Mike really wants the play to do well. He's not trying to sabotage the play at all. He mm. wants it to do well. He just wants it to be done correctly. He wants it to be done in its most true form, I guess. Yeah. He he wants Riggin to understand the material. He wants Riggin to understand, really, just live and breathe this story Right. until they're done. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, like he even <laughs> the sunbed. Right? That whole thing. Where yeah. they're, they're he like, wanted he wa- to be a redneck. Right. Um, he he wanted to add a little extra layer to the realism of the play, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's played for laughs or whatever in the in the film, but really, essentially, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so when Riggin is just trying to get back in the good graces of the people of the world, right, yeah. and critics, that's not Shiner's deal. Yeah. Shiner doesn't give a shit about that. He wants the, the performance, the art, to be... Up front. He doesn't want the prestige to be up front. Who cares? Mm-hmm. He wants the performance to live on forever. He doesn't want to live on forever. Right? Yeah. In the people's eyes. Right?
0: Yeah. Um, like, I'm trying to remember the, the full conversation, but like when they're on their way to the bar mm-hmm. and, you know, and he's talking about his performance and and he's like, you know what it means? And Rigan's like, a lot. He's like, yeah, a lot. Fuck you. <laughs> yes, a lot. <laughs> um yeah yeah, Mike, you see now, I'm glad I did decide to to choose this movie because I never really would have noticed that him and Mike <laughs> Regan and Mike are opposites. Um, but then that kind of brings us to Sam Emma, Tom- Emma Stone mm-hmm. what name is, Tom- Emma Thompson. Sam, who's Regan's daughter, mm-hmm. recovering drug addict.
1: We don't really know what. Yeah, they don't f- go into which drug. I'd like to assume heroin, but that's probably not true. I mean, <laughs> that's what I always assume. Her look, probably it was heroin. You know what? You're right. You're right. Um,
0: but you know, when Sam kind of brings this other perspective to both of them.
1: Yeah, you could call it millennial self-worth. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Because she takes the the social media side, right? Mm-hmm. And she's saying, you know, you're acting all pretentious about all this stuff. But really, right now, that's what it means to be relevant. Your version of relevant is Twitter, Facebook. That's what you want. But you're saying that's not what it is. But in this day and age, that is what it is. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Especially in in. I still I mean, yeah, she's. Hearing into her own father, but Mm -hmm. I still think it's a very beautiful monologue she's giving about how you mock Twitter, you don't even have a Facebook page, you're the one who doesn't exist. Yeah, Uh, because as he's his his rebuttal is, you know, you and your cynical friends who just want to go viral. Yeah, you know, and it's and then she he kind of briefly understands it when during the third preview, there's videos of him walking around Times Square in his underwear. Right. And she's nightmare
1: situation I brought up. I brought
0: yeah. <laughs> um, just quickly, he goes out for a smoke during the third preview. The door shuts behind him, gets his robe caught, and he has to walk around the block to get to the front of the theater in his whitey-tidies. Everyone in Times Square is seeing it. Videos go up. But then as Sam tells him, believe it or not, this is power. Mm-hmm. Because he could use that to really, you know, right. promote the the play. Like, hey, Regan Thompson, uh, that from the Tidy Whitey video, hey, he's got a play. You should go check that out. Right. But I highly doubt Regan actually.
1: Well, I mean, the, the point being is that if you truly want the respect, the prestige to be relevant in the eyes of the – society you want Mm -hmm. that's it that's how you do it Now you're not saying that's the way you should do it but but what you are talking about this is how you do it right and then when it comes to Mike
0: she's trying to I think she tries to deconstruct what he perceives to be you know the truth Mm -hmm. you know when she tells him truth or dare and he just keeps choosing truth Mm -hmm. and he won't choose dare Mm -hmm. um but, you know, I feel like for him, she's trying to deconstruct his little dome of what he perceives as this should be truth. right. you know it's
1: it's his it's his problem, right? right? So his sort of I don't know how to act out here mm-hmm. in front of all, you know, in in real society. he doesn't know how to be himself, right? Right. He's afraid of what his that would be. Mm-hmm. Right, but in the theater, he don't have to worry about that because he's somebody else. yeah Right, but to him, that's the safe place. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a yeah. Deep for you guys, sorry, <laughs> but that's this movie, man. This movie has a lot of layers in it that you might not have noticed.
0: Right. No, oh, yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk about the three previews?
1: Um, yes, um, and in between there, we can talk as you were mentioned briefly. Um, them walking to the bar from the theater, this would be a great time to mention the music. Oh, yes. So, the music is done by Antonio Sanchez, who is a great musician and composer. He composed this score, which is all jazz drumming. Mm-hmm. Um, very chaotic, very almost improvised jazz drumming, something you would see like from Buddy Rich or whatever, right? I mean, right. anyway. I like jazz a lot. So um, this was a big deal for me because I I love that style and I I love drumming and I think it's super cool that it was just drumming, right? Mm -hmm. The only time we ever hear another score is when we're transitioning to another moment in time, the passions of time, to a moment in the play where that's the score in the play, right? Mm -hmm. Or
0: in Regan's Fantasies, which we'll get to. Right. So the jazz
1: drumming. The reason why I want to focus really on this for right now is it it does this really interesting thing. So the movie has these surreal moments mm-hmm. where either he's floating in midair... Or he's moving things with his mind. And it's really just when he's around, right?
0: Yeah, when it's, when it's rigging by himself. When it's
1: rigging by himself, he is in his own little world with his alter ego. It's almost like his Tyler Durden, uh, yeah. which is Birdman. Which is,
0: yeah.
1: Right? And the the last time he was ever relevant and looked upon with prestige was when he was Birdman. And so, of course, that would be his alter ego, trying to get him back into the spotlight right and the really cool thing about this sort of surrealist layer to the film is that the music will go from non-diegetic to diegetic back to non-diegetic to diegetic so what I mean by that is that it is in the background the characters can't hear it right and Mm -hmm. that is diegetic music right yeah Okay, so... At least I think that's right. (laughs) I've confused myself already at this point. You just gotta roll with it. But at at one point, or several points in the film, um, he will... The music will then become a part of the background, and a part of the background in the narrative, meaning Mm -hmm. they can also hear it and be able to interact with it with a street performer on the sidewalk. Yeah. playing the score, right? And it does <laughs> it does do that thing where it gets louder and then softer when they walk by it mm-hmm. and walk away from it, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's actually diegetic music. So non-diegetic music would be in the background and they wouldn't be able to hear it. So it goes from non-diegetic to diegetic back to non-diegetic. And it does this a couple of times. It also does it uh-huh. when he's walking in the theater to the stage that that same guy is back there Mm -hmm. (laughs) playing on that drum set right yeah and it's just so interesting the way that they kind of layer that in there to kind of mess with your perception of reality right yeah and because we're kind of with Riggin, where his reality has sort of been split as well yeah um at that point in the film, right? Yeah.
0: So, you know, we've already kind of talked about the previews. Um, i really... Let's just... I'd say let's go ahead and move on to Riggins' fantasy versus his reality. Yeah. You know, because like you mentioned, he... When he's alone, he he is envisioning him moving stuff with his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, we get several incidents of him kind of throwing a tantrum. Yes. You know, at the beginning of the movie... You know, he tells Sam to get him flowers, anything but roses, and she gets him roses. Roses, he gets roses. And he moves moves the vase with his mind, and it
1: goes into a wall. A great passage of time shot also, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the dust settles, and we pan a little bit over to the couch, and it's a couple of hours later. Mm -hmm. And he's being interviewed by those magazines, right? Yeah. And that, of course, happens several times in the movie, which is brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Because I thought when I heard about this film, I thought it was going to be in real time. Yeah. I would have no idea how they would have done it, not in real time. Yeah. And the way that they they decided to show the passage of time by just weaving in and out of rooms and changing the sound design, and it was brilliant.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, and, and something else, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it, is with the soundtrack, you know, like when Regan and Mike... Get into the fist fight, Mm -hmm. and Rigan goes back to his room and is trying to process his emotions and then starts, you know, tearing everything down and then is fighting with Birdman. Right. Um, But when Jake kind of opens up the door, the music stops. Yeah. And then we see the reality, and Rigan has used his own hands and is pulling everything down.
1: Another great example of going from fantasy to reality is him flying to the theater oh yeah um which is a great shot great sequence but we're like no way that really happened well how did he get there the cabbie gets out he's like he didn't fucking pay me where is he he's like oh he took a cab okay there's the reality Okay, yeah. great. and what a brilliant way to show how he really got there right mm,
0: well and and again with the music you know as he's flying we can hear the soundtrack and then when he lands he goes stop and the music stops, right and um, he's
1: able to play with that near the end of the movie he's getting control of these fantasies and blah 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 whatever
0: yeah and so so kind of speaking of that fantasy you know beforehand you know so Riggin gets into an argument with the critic that is determined to destroy the play
1: mm-hmm.
0: um which I want to talk about, too. But the, you know, then he goes out and get, he gets drunk. And then we have, in my opinion, one of the more um, intricate fantasy sequences. because mm-hmm. we finally see Birdman. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really cool. Is I read shortly after the movie came out, I read that they had a body double in the suit. Yeah. I was like, that can't be right. That looks like Michael Keaton. But now I can see it. But they only had him for that brief moment. That way you could see... Yeah. Birdman behind Riggan. Right. But then all the other times you see Birdman, it's Michael Keaton. Right. In the suit. Um, But, you know, that's another kind of meta part. He's telling Riggan, you know, fuck the play. Let's go back and let's do what we always do. You know, and then they have this really great shot where Birdman's looking directly in the camera. Mm -hmm. Almost as like he's looking at the audience saying, like, you love this shit. You love love blood. You love violence. Um, And... I just thought of, you know, now thinking about it now that I'm older and kind of understand movies, I say older, this movie's six years old. (laughs) I was only 21 when I saw it.
1: I mean, still. Well,
0: yeah. And I understand movies a little bit more now, but, you know, know, it's almost as Alejandro saying like this, you know, almost kind of like what Scorsese says now about film is, you know, because then we have
1: a subtle way to to say, you know, that's not real cinema. Right. Yeah. because he gives us a taste of that. Here's a taste of this shit that you guys love so much.
0: Yeah, with the CGI bird and all these explosions and, you know, and then um, we get another kind of, so technically Birdman breaks the fourth wall there Mm -hmm. and then we get another, one of my favorite fourth wall breaks is Riggan standing on top of the building and people think he's going to jump. But then there's a lady over here and I've heard that that was not scripted. That's awesome. So he's, so Michael Keaton's standing on top of a building. And there's a lady that we should—I don't think we mentioned it, unless you figured it out. They're in New York. The whole movie shot in New York. And there's a lady across this building doing laundry, and she goes, "Hey, is this for real, or are y'all doing a film?" And no one else answers except for Michael Keaton, and he goes, "A film." For and you people, you're all doing shit. You're all full of shit. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know. A, I think an indirect fourth wall break. Yeah. because It's
1: cool they left it in. Because
0: why would Riggin think we're making a film?
1: Yeah, yeah, he probably just wanted to shut her up, right? And yeah. instead of saying, oh, that's cool. She's like, you guys are full of shit. It's almost like she would have rather him to be like, it's for real. He's like, good jump, then, you piece of shit. You know, whatever.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, we get another one of my favorite comedic timing moments is when you know The guy talks him down from the ledge. He's like, do you know where to go? And he's like, oh, I know where to go. And he hits us with those Beetlejuice eyes, really wide eyes. Yeah. And he <laughs> runs and jumps off the roof, which I love the pan over. Yeah. Because the camera's trying to catch back up with him. Right. Um, but then, yeah, we get that great fantasy sequence of him flying over the city. Yeah. And Birdman saying, you know, this is where you belong. And, and it's just, it's so crazy that, you know... I think that's what what adds so much to the movie is that not only do we get to see Riggin's reality but we do get to see his fantasy. Yeah. You know, what he has always seen in his mind, mm. you know. Um So would you like to talk about why he fucking shoots himself with a real gun on okay. stage?
1: So I go back and forth about that,
0: right? Yeah.
1: So I I'd like to think the, the the end result is what he was wanting he wasn't wanting to die he was wanting to make a statement wanting to uh, give the realest performance he can which would be do it for real right I disagree uh, okay and that's fine because I you know you could also just say he just fucked it up <laughs> you know what I, I mean?
0: am convinced uh, that Riggin was trying to kill himself okay um so like I kind of mentioned, Uh, Riggin gets into an argument with the critic that her opinion matters. And if she hates Riggin's play, then Riggin's play is dead. And throughout the film, we get hints that Riggin has dug himself into a hole with this play, so he needs this play to be successful. Mm -hmm. And when he gets into the argument with the critic, who I can't remember the actress's name. I've seen her in other stuff. I have too. Um, You know, he berates her about how she says... In her review, nothing about technique, structure, nothing about the actual performance. That it's right. just that he's she's just a lazy critic mm-hmm. because she's just hell bent on destroying the play. Right. And in the fantasy sequence that he gets, that we see of Birdman talking to him, you know, Birdman says we should, you know, a way to end it all, a grand gesture. To me, that. I, that's why I think he was trying to kill
1: himself. You can also argue that it, in the very beginning, when they're rehearsing the play with that first actor... Ralph. Ralph. Um, parts of the dialogue is of someone screwing up a suicide, right? Mm-hmm. Because he put a gun in his mouth, but he screwed that up too, you know? Yeah. And so at the very end where he potentially screws up a suicide... Is sort of a reflection on that as well, right? Yep. Sort of callback. Yeah, and, and
0: you know, and then I, the other reason why I think that Regan was is, is you know, during the font opening uh, opening night, everyone is loving the play. Mm-hmm. You know, I love the line that we hear, "Birdman can act." <laughs> yeah, um, you know, he tells his ex-wife how he has previously tried to kill himself. To kill himself, mm-hmm. which I would. Truthfully, see is a red flag, you know, and he's being, as she puts it, abnormally calm. Yeah. And then, I mean, I don't know, maybe as a real, you know, not a, not a fake character in a movie, mm-hmm. but as a real person, I've been like, okay, he's being abnormally calm. Now he's telling me this not so suspicious way of how he tried to kill himself. Um, you okay
1: there, buddy? I really like how we got an explanation of the jellyfish. Yeah. Uh, Because we did see it very briefly in the beginning of the film, and then again at the end. Mm -hmm. um, Um, But no,
0: that's why I think he was trying to kill himself. Okay. It just kind of
1: botched. And I love that, even if that were true, okay? Mm -hmm. Let's say it was. And he did try to kill himself. He did sort of still get back in his Birdman mask because the bandages resemble that of his Birdman mm-hmm. mask, right? And, which and, is great, which is all he wanted. And and something
0: in the in the, in the Aliens Guide video that they did, they talk about that and how that, even though now he's achieved critical acclaim with this play, mm-hmm.
1: he still wears the mask. Right, and it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, he thought this was going to fix everything. And it didn't fix a thing. He's still unhappy. He's still. I also disagree. Okay. So, um,
0: so with the final act of the mo- or the final scene of the movie, uh, Riggin is in the hospital recovering from his maybe, maybe not botched suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, and as me and Jeremy have mentioned, he's gotten critical acclaim. The critic that was going to bury him actually loves the the play. She says that he's brought something new. Something called super realism.
1: Not what I would have called it.
0: I know it's kind of
1: super. That's not a word you would use in the New York Times. Go ahead. I know.
0: Um, I also love sidebar. Um, I love that in that final scene, he he trips up uh, Mike. You know mm. when he points the gun and goes bang, oh, and bang. Mike's like ooh, ooh. like what like
1: well, and then he was like oh, he must have fixed the gun problem because that thing looks real as shit.
0: <laughs> you <yeah>. know. <laughs> um, But, you know, so anyway, so then Regan goes to the bathroom and removes the bandages and sees his new nose. (laughs) Um, And then he sees Birdman. And I think, uh, you know, Birdman kind of knew what he was going to do because we hear Birdman say, bye-bye and fuck you. Yeah. Um, And then Regan goes to the window. And the very next shot we see is Emma Thompson. I keep wanting to say Emma Thompson. Emma Stone coming back into the room. And Regan's gone. Right. And she quickly looks down but then looks up and then that's where the film ends. Right. Um, Very open-ended. Mm-hmm. So the reason why I disagree okay. with that, it wasn't enough. I actually disagree that it was enough. This is what he was wanting. He okay. wanted this critical recognition mm-hmm. and that's why he went to the window. Mm-hmm. Because when Jake is going on and on about how we're going to open this plane, Paris, in London, there's going to be film rights yeah. um, he, that's when he realized I won't be able to top this and so
1: that's an interesting interpretation
0: and so going to the window and maybe or maybe not jumping
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that was his way of saying okay I can't top this this is what I wanted I'm done okay. here Okay. I've had uh, hour-long conversations with my mother about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so it, it could go either way. Yeah. Um,
0: so uh, I want to know your... your.
1: Well, you know, my thing, of course, was, you know, he, he achieved all of this, everything he wanted, as we've said. Yes. I'd like to think that it wasn't enough. Okay. Um, just because, you know... Uh, The old adage, money doesn't buy happiness, right? Neither does Mm. admiration and fame. Right. So my interpretation of it was that he achieved everything he wanted, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And let's even say he did try to kill himself. Okay. (laughs) He fucked that up. (laughs) And in doing so, it sort of elevated the... The fame and admi- admiration, right? Right. Because it was like, holy shit, he tried to fucking kill himself on stage. He shot himself on stage for realism, right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whatever bullshit. Right? I would have called it hyper-realism, by the way, not super-realism. That's a stupid, hacky way to write that name. Okay? Well, I mean, as he calls her, she's a lazy... <laughs> she's lazy. So she's that, lazy. I guess that does make sense. Um, it's hyper-realism. Anyway. <laughs> so... And, you know, after saying goodbye to the Birdman and, you know, removing his Birdman mask Mm -hmm. in bandage form, um, instead of deciding he could no longer top this, I would say, even if I go further, I'm still going to feel the same way I feel. Off I go. And off I go, whatever that means, right? Because, Mm -hmm. again, the ending is very (laughs) open-ended because... It, now it's from Emma. Emma you motherfucker. Let's I just almost say said, Sam. Because that's her character. In Sam's perspective, we're in Sam's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't know if that's real or not.
0: Yeah, because right? she looks down, but then she looks up and yeah, smiles. Yeah, she looks down and
1: confused because no one's there. And then she looks up and smiles and, like, oh, look, there he is. Right? Or yeah.
0: whatever. Um, you know, and so, and so my version of that is it could go two ways. Mm-hmm. Um, one, she looked down and did. See the lifeless body of her father, but mm-hmm. then looks up because then she realizes he can be free now.
1: Okay. Or
0: alternatively, he was never on the ground and now he is flying above the city where he belongs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Or did they just cast Emma Stone because her eyes are so damn big?
1: They are gigantic, and I think it just because her head is small. <laughs> I have, I do have a theory. This is nothing to do with anything. I have a theory that eyeballs. Uh are the same size for everyone. It's the head shape that is different. And so if someone has really big eyes, they don't, they just have a small head. I mean, that makes sense. That's a theory I have. I I don't know if that's true. Emma Stone is very skinny. Um... And, like, I I would, I've never met these people in real life, but I would imagine Zoe Deschanel's head is also very small. (laughs) Because her eyes are gigantic, also. Yeah. And Amanda Cypher, listen, (laughs) it's just a theory I have about (laughs) eyeballs and head size. I don't know if it's true. It
0: makes sense. I mean, my wife's got a moderately small head, and her eyes are huge. Yeah. So, there you go. But anyway, um,.
1: Yeah, just, and okay, I, I will say, guys, for the love of God, will someone write a comment? I want to know what you think. <laughs> Listen, you can even do it on the fucking website. I don't care. Do we have a space for that?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So I forgot to mention on the website, you can become a quote unquote member. Uh, just a way for you to have your own account because then you can leave comments on uh, there's a section of episodes you can go and click an episode and you can leave a comment
1: Okay. or you can do it here without having to set anything up on Apple Podcasts or Stitch or whatever yeah or whatever you're using so I'm really glad that we don't see eye to eye on this and not in a bad way I don't no, a no, sure, no, I a this.
0: I think this adds so much more to I the movie now because
1: I, I like that we disagree on this um The one problem I had with one of my favorite podcasts, Enter the Void, is that they agreed too much. I didn't like that. No. We obviously don't have that problem. (laughs) So, ever. So, (laughs) I want to know what you guys think. Um, I know my boy Zach's listening. Uh, Zach, you can just text me. Uh, Zach, (laughs) what do you think um, uh, at the end of this film, what do you think the outcome was? What do you think was going on with Riggin? And again, we're all right, essentially, because this is what movies are for. And in terms of Alejandro... And, you know, the ending was... That's what this is meant for, right? Yeah, the ending ending. was left. Did the top stop spinning or not, right? It's one of those things, right? And of course it was going to stop spinning. He wasn't wearing his wedding ring. That's a little Inception stuff for you, but...
0: (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to be like... I I heard some argument. I was like, you see it wobble. It was going to stop.
1: That's not the right argument. The right argument was he wasn't wearing his wedding ring. In the dream sequences, he was always wearing his wedding ring, and in the real life, he wasn't. So, start paying attention to small details, people. <laughs> that's where you are going to find the answers. Now, well, well, then... We could never do an episode <laughs> on Inception because it just ruined it, but that's what, you know...
0: I mean, it doesn't mean we still can't. I guess not. I mean, we're definitely going to have to do an episode on Tenet, which is still going to... S- apparently still has it's same release date I don't know I'll never see it
1: uh, we'll never make it Look, we're all gonna be dead by then <laughs> I, <laughs> I do want to say this is a very human story I wrote that down oh yes um, I, I and a very, I mean very human performances not any of these people are one thing right we're, mm-hmm. there's no antagonist there's no protagonist no there's no good guy no bad guy no no one is the hero or villain we just happen to be following this guy yeah right um they're flawed they're right I mean these these are all three dimensional characters
0: yeah you know one one of my favorite scenes you know is is when you know Riggin is kind of having his tantrum and destroys his room and and Jake comes in and Jake's like you know know, I'm really proud of you I don't know if I've said that but I'm really proud of you and you know Riggin is having a hard time to you know and Jake to kind of stoke his ego a little bit was like hey you know I've heard that Prince of Saudi Arabia is bringing one of his wives you know and don't tell anyone but Martin Scorsese <laughs> casting for his new film and
1: as someone who loves the briefs, I was uh, really stoked that he, that he uh, abbreviated that he Scorsese abbreviated.
0: yeah um, but you know but then that works and it's and Brinkin's like oh okay yeah let's get ready and then Naomi Watson the other actress is like wow is Martin Scorsese really coming? Yeah and the new Pope and then that's when they realize that's all oh, bullshit. Oh he was bullshitting him. And
1: there's probably not even a full house. <laughs> right? Yeah. There's not three blocks of people waiting. Mm-hmm. But who fucking cares? It worked didn't it?
0: Yeah. So, um, and you know and everyone does that you know um, everyone lies to someone at some point in the movie.
1: I'm sure I've lied to you today. I know. I just haven't figured out When.
0: <laughs> um, but no, I, I you know, and I get what you're saying about you know that these are three dimensional characters yeah. and that these are very human characters. Yeah, you know, because I think we can all relate. Well, maybe not all of us relate, because I definitely don't relate with anyone in this, because I've never been that low in my life. Right, at least not yet. Not yet. There's still time, but you know, there's certain aspects that we can all relate to. Right, of course. You know. And, you know,
1: even if you want to say, you know, like Mike Shiner is, uh, you know, this one-dimensional snob, he's not because that's why we get those interactions with him and Emma Stone on the roof, right? Mm-hmm. That's where we learn he's not.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Uh, Everyone gets this sort of opportunity to prove they're not one-dimensional people.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I love his response of when she, when she says, you know, if you weren't afraid, what would you do to me right now? And he goes, I would tear the eyes out of your skull and put them into my skull. That way I could see the street the way you do when I was your age.
1: See, now, we're, that's why we're opposites. I hated that. Really? I thought really? it was so pretentious. I didn't like it at well, all. Well, the reason why
0: I like it is because he obviously said it because he wanted her to go away. Right. And she does. She <laughs> turns around and leaves. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just didn't like the answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've never... You know, I think I've stated on the on the podcast. I know I have actually that you know I like to poke holes in movies. Yeah, you said it last week. Uh, this one, I can't find anything. It's and a I can't movie, and I right? can't find anything that even even the smallest detail that I'm like, eh, that rubbed me the wrong way.
1: And guys, it's not even his best movie either. He's got a back catalog. Yeah, full I, of I, I
0: definitely stuff. would say Babel. I wouldn't say way
1: better, but in terms of storytelling... and that be, The reason I even pointed it out was this is a great movie. Oh, it is. Right? Absolutely. And it's not even Almodovar's best, in my opinion. It would be Amor Perros, or it would be like maybe... I don't know. 21 Grams, maybe? I had a feeling you were going to say that. I love 21 Grams. Um, um, yeah. so, so I think I mentioned it
0: last week in the teaser. So, you know, me and Ash... So I I, I saw... I just wanted to just bring this up. So I saw the trailer... And I thought it was about Harvey Birdman, Harvey which Birdman. I mentioned last week. Turn Eight Lock. Um, and I was like, okay, I might want to go see that. I love Michael Keaton. Um, but Midland never got it. Um, oh,
1: thank God, I was living in Lubbock at the time.
0: And uh, then when it, you know, raked in its Oscars, um, me and Ashley were like, okay, I think we might need to go see this movie.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, Regal, I think they were so Hollywood theaters at the time. Um. Brought it back for a uh, limited release because mm-hmm. it won Best Picture.
1: I think that year I wanted Boyhood to win. Yeah. So I haven't seen that. I think that was that was the movie I, I wanted to win that year because I was surprised when Birdman won.
0: Um, I mean, I, uh, I love Richard Linklater, but I've never seen Boyhood. It
1: was good. And honestly, it was just because of... The achievement of... of it, it took them... It's the achievement of patience. It's really what it, it was. It took them 10 years to do this 12. Maybe? 12. Yeah. Because he starts when he's nine? He's about our age, like a year or two younger than we are. Mm-hmm. And so it was... I guess that's why it was so impactful for me because it, he's so close to my age that I got it, right? Right. You know, it was really cool to watch. Anyway, and, Right. Sorry. Yeah. It's sorry.
0: The no, so the I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, so me and Ashley go see the movie and I find, you know, I, I get all the comedy, mm-hmm. but I just,
1: I was like, I don't get the point though. It's a lot. And, I mean, in your defense and I didn't either. You, you know,
0: know and so, so we left the theater. Ashley enjoyed it. She also got the comedy, but we both were like, I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. And so I had a one, I've had several hour long conversations about this movie with my mom. So I had an hour-long conversation about it with her, and she was helping me try to understand it. And I got a little bit, and I was like, ah, I'm going to have to see it again. Mm-hmm. And I think I went back to the theater. I want to say I want to say, I went back to the theater. That where I just went ahead and bought it. By mm-hmm. that point, it was already out, so I bought it. Um, watched it again. Got a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Had another conversation with my mom. Watched it one more time, and then I was like, oh, I get it. There it is, and since then, I think I have enjoyed the movie so much more. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that every movie you have to get on the first viewing, but, yeah. you know, I think, I think once you understand a movie, then
1: you can appreciate it more. I mean, the invention of home video yeah. has exponentially affected film studies, right? Yeah. Because... You know, now that we are able to sit and watch a movie more than once in a day, if we wanted, Mm -hmm. right, Um, and really just pick at little, little things, right, is tremendously helpful um, for not only us who love to do this, but also the filmmakers to be able to make things complex and Mm layered like this. Oh, yeah. Because they know we can watch it more than once.
0: Um you know, since you're 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 like the guru of this, uh, is it
1: ever going to get a Criterion release? Ooh, good question. I thought about that today, actually. Um, I was like, you know, that would be a really cool Criterion release. I, I think it would. One. It would be a great one. It usually, um, in terms of the three amigos of filmmaking, we have Alejandro, we have Guillermo, we have Alfonso. Um, Guillermo and Alfonso have theirs on Criterion. Really, Alejandro does not. So it, now.
0: I've always wondered this. Is it like a, a partnership with
1: that director, or I don't know? Or uh, they do get director approval for the restoration, the transfer, and the special features. Um, yeah. So, but that that only depends on who owns it. So don't hate
0: me. Um, so as you know, I own three Wes Anderson movies on Criterion
1: Collection. Good.
0: Um, and when I had to watch Steve Zizu for the episode. Um, I hadn't touched it since I got it for Christmas mm-hmm. I was I've just wanted it because I, I love the artwork right yeah, yeah yeah for it and I just wanted it Um, and so when I had to watch it I pop it into my PlayStation and I see like a whole different menu screen and like hang on so I take it out and I put in Fantastic Mr. Fox because mm-hmm. I used to have that on DVD whole new menu screen yep. with the Criterion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. this nice layered yep you know, play movie they timeline, that, yeah. and I was like, "I need more movies now."
1: Yeah. So they, <laughs> they what I love about it is the consistency. No. And the, um, the pattern. So what they do is they maintain the same template mm-hmm. for their menu screens and just change background, basically. Is all they do. Yeah. Background and then what is listed. That's right. all that changes, right now? Uh, but it's the same format. Uh, everyone, just bear with us. Sorry, I'm, I'm a big fan of Criterion, we'll, and we'll
0: wrap up in a second. I just have one more question for you. Um, I'm assuming the reason why when you buy from Criterion Collection, the reason why unlike another Blu-ray that comes with like a digital copy, the reason why these don't, because I'm assuming they're meant to be put in and enjoyed? Or? I guess.
1: Um, that's a good question. I Well, I guess it was a good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You can get them digitally, the Criterion Collections, on nice. iTunes or whatever. Um, I don't recommend it. I'm a big fan of box artwork and disc art, well, which, of course, you know that about me. I, I mean, know. I, <laughs> I, I like it because I, I, I've been a collector forever. Yeah. Um, And so being able to physically touch it, look at it, manipulate it that's all it, that's all movie collecting is for me I love it well right?
0: and and now that and, well, and now that I know so much more about the criterion collection I you know I also want more and
1: you can get a lot of really cool things and uh, you learn a lot more too which is mm-hmm. you know The reason I love film so much is there's so much to learn, right? What a time to be alive! Because not only do we have so many great things coming up, we have so much back catalog to go through. Mm -hmm. You know, starting with Edison stuff and moving your way forward. So, over a hundred years of stuff.
0: Anyway, um, so would you like to wrap up? I would love to wrap up, wrap up, wrap up. (laughs) So, uh, Birdman, Birdman, Um, absolutely love it. Um, I say it every episode. And I'm going to say it again. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, you definitely should.
1: And you shouldn't have listened to this. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But if you're still listening by now, we've ruined the whole movie. It would be pointless for you to watch it now.
1: Not necessarily. Still watch it. Yeah. Because you, you can get a different opinion we got.
0: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Um, so good. I mean... It, uh, I, I just I can't put into words Yeah. how I feel about this movie. Yeah. Um, now.
1: So, Jeremy. Yes. What are we doing next week? Oh, very exciting. So, n- next week, okay. <laughs> so, last week I was, you know, racking my brain. Do I want to do a movie I promised? in in our movies we might do next season from oh, yeah. last season
0: yeah I don't think I think I've only done one did I point.
1: want to do what I promised or do I want to do something exciting for my last official pick of the season I decided to do the thing that's exciting so okay next week we will be discussing Roy Anderson's Songs from the Second Floor the first of a trilogy of what it is like to be human okay okay and it is avant-garde it's quirky it's funny but all of that to say it's unique mm-hmm. and it's original you okay. you're never going to see anything like it and the only time you ever will see anything like it is the other two movies really yes hmm. so what he does he places a camera here he builds the set around the camera if you were to move that camera a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right the illusion is broken and okay. you can see where the set ends and a lot of times what he'll do is he will use force perspective to get shots so you really can't move that camera at all because oh. then the force perspective is ruined right right so the only time it ever moves i think is once or twice a movie and it'll just move a couple of inches to the left or something, you know. It it will never huh. move forward or backward. It will only move side to side. Okay. And um, these are like little three five minute vignettes. A movie of his has about fifty of them. They all connect uh, some way somehow. Mm. And it's just fun to watch, man. It is in Swedish, so he's a Swedish filmmaker, and um, we will talk a whole lot about that, obviously, when we do it next week. Very exciting. And ladies and gentlemen, I had to bring him a special Blu-ray player for him to watch this movie on.
0: <laughs> yes. Uh, um, late, uh, early last year, um, me and Jeremy, uh, when we went to Fort Worth, uh, I was kind of going through his movie collection. And I was like, hey, is this a movie from region like London? And he was like, yeah, yeah. I have a Blu-ray player right there. Yeah so
1: and now that I have this new 4k one that does the same thing you know I can at least lend it out to this one to you so you can no. watch this movie um cause you can't find it on iTunes you can't find it anywhere no. songs from the second floor Roy Anderson very exciting stuff
0: well we uh hope everyone enjoyed this week again our website is live uh we will put the link in the description uh for this episode um I will probably post it around um Like I said, maybe sometime later, I may say the actual URL on an episode, but uh, we hope everyone enjoyed and we will see you next week.